big shout out today to my friends at the Vancouver Island Works Project. They are sponsoring today's episode and they've also created a website for me at operationtraumarecovery.org. So kind of them and so generous. A fantastic company I invite you to go check out at viwproject.com. Their suite of services includes consulting, training, mentorship, web services, and digital marketing. So if you need a kick-ass website, go check them out. viwproject.com, Vancouver Island Works Project. Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Good morning, everybody. I'm very happy to have Rob Levin. How are you, brother? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. Well, I appreciate you being on, and it, I, like I was saying to you off air, I got to get more firefighters on here. Firefighters and yep. first responders. <laughs> I'm doing my best, doing my best. Yeah. But um, it, it, let's start with uh, PATS. When did you uh, take yes. your course with uh, PATSS, and what does it stand for? Uh, it stands for uh, <laughs> Peer <laughs> and Trauma training systems all right um it's a a peer support training program that meets the the strict guidelines for peer support in canada that were established by the mental health commission of canada and it's uh it's supported by and partnered with uh, mood disorder society of canada so it, it's it's the only peer training program in canada that is as close to a certified program as you can get. Yeah. So I, I, I took the course early, early in uh, 2019. My therapist suggested it. How long was the course? Uh, it was a two-day course. It's it's supposed to be a three-day course, but with, you know, COVID going on, everything's virtual. So they've, they've pared it down to a two-day online course. It's not cheap and, either. Uh, like how How much was it for a two-day course? Uh, roughly about four hundred bucks. Oh, that's not bad. I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was a lot more than that. No, no. And, and so I did the course way, way back in two thousand nineteen. Yeah. Um, I've been involved with you know first responder mental health. Um, one of the instructors, you know, I'm, I'm fairly good friends with. Um, a guy named Sid Gravel and his 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 uh, partner in crime, uh, a guy named Brad McKay. Uh, yeah. Both retired police officers, uh, highly respected. I call them like the, the fathers of peer support in Canada. Um, and, and Sid reached out to me at Christmas time and asked if I'd be interested in in coming on board with the team and 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 uh, looking after the fire sector. So I jumped at the opportunity. And what did you think of the course? Amazing. Really? It, it, it's yeah. It, it's when the course is delivered, it, it, it's not just, you know, two guys standing up talking about how peer support should be run and, and the benefits of it, but there, there's also a, a psychoeducation part. So they bring in a mental health professional, like a clinician, and, and he or she does it like a half-day 
um, educational section on post-traumatic stress and depression and anxiety disorders and things like that. So it, it, it's, it's more than just, you know, two retired cops standing up there talking about peer support. It, it's, it's a really well-developed program and it, 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 it follows and adheres to the 18 guy or 18 points or, or training, um, training points that need to be covered uh, that was established by, like I said, the Mental Health Commission of Canada. And what was your biggest takeaway? Like, what do you feel is the most important do's and don'ts of peer support? <laughs> um, speaking from experience with my own department's uh, peer support team, um, treating the people that you're supporting no different than you would treat your son your daughter, your wife, your brother, your sister, your mother. I mean, the compassion that you have for your family members is the same compassion you need to have for the people you're supporting. Right? Unfortunately, you know, a lot of organizations treat their people like products or objects, not like they're human. And peer support is about establishing a connection with the person who's struggling to support them. And that connection need you to treat them like humans, need you to, to be human, be vulnerable with them. So how do you, how do you make a connection with somebody? Um, you, 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 you start by, um, you know, okay, let me, let me, let me step back a bit. Did I, the Pat's program. Did I I put you under the bus? Did I catch you flat footed? (laughs) No, 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 no. You didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz, did you? (laughs) no. Uh, the, the, the PATS program uh, is taught by lived experience instructors. So the, the first thing that, that, you know, I do when I, uh, like I also do peer support outside of PATS as well. Uh, and the first thing I do is, you know, I let the person know that, you know, yeah, I, I've, I understand what you're going through because I've gone through it. And that helps, you know, make people feel comfortable. You, you sort of get over that, that initial um, hesitancy to, to open up. And, and you know, it, it's about being able to actively listen, hold space for the person. You're not trying to solve their problems, right? You're not, you're not the, the problem solver. You're there to support someone. So critical. Right? And tell, tell me about holding, yep. holding space. What does that mean to you? How would you describe it? Um, it's about being open, non-judgmental, uh, supportive, uh, actually listening to, to hear what the person's saying, not just listening to respond, um, sitting with them. If you have to, if you're with them, just in silence, silence can be a very powerful, powerful tool. Um, you know, if a person that I've, I've done some peer support calls, with another organization I'm, I'm with where, yeah, we, 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 we sat in silence for a good five minutes. You're just there for the person. Right? And, you know, like I said, that, that silence allows the person to, you know, get their thoughts going again. It, it, it really encourages further dialogue, further connection. How did you fall into peer support? What was the path that got you there? <laughs> Um, 
so when I was uh, struggling at work, I reached out to my department's um, SISM slash peer support team. Describe and, uh, uh, t- tell the audience what SISM is. Oh, SISM is uh, is critical incident stress management. You you can think of it as sort of like peer support for a specific incident, right? Whereas peer support, the general peer support is not incident specific. It it's to help people who are struggling. So I I I reached out to somebody on my on my department's SISM and peer support team that I felt comfortable with. They put me in touch with the place that I'm going for therapy, which was great. I decided to tell my crew, and one of the guys on my crew was on that department, on my department's team. And when I told my crew that, yeah, you know what, guys, I'm I'm in weekly therapy for what's probably PTSD. This is when I was still at work. Um, the the my my crewmate who was on the peer support team, his exact words were. Oh yeah, we noticed a difference in you almost two years ago, but we just chalked it up to you being the grumpy old guy near the end of your career. And for that, that said to me, holy shit, there's a lot more education that needs to be done out there to do peer support properly. Was it and difficult? For, I, was it difficult for you to uh, sort of announce, like, "Hey, here's the deal. I've got PTSD. It looks like, and I'm getting help for it." Um, to my crew, no. Publicly at the beginning, yeah, it, it was it was tough. Um, getting back to the peer support, the the later on in my journey when I had been off for a while, you know, I had the the, the guy who heads up our department's SISM and peer support team, who happened to be on my platoon. He reached out to me a couple you know a couple of weeks after being off. Okay, great, thanks for reaching out to me. He reached out to me again in you know like four months later, and I thought okay. But he didn't reach out to see how I was doing. He reached out to ask me to reach out to somebody else who was off. And I thought, really? I mean, I'm off. I'm struggling. I'm trying to get better. And you're contacting me to check in on somebody else? I mean, is that what you do? <laughs> and then, you know, he, he called me again uh, in September of 2019. And I'd been off work for like six months by that point. And and I had an idea why he was he was calling me, but I asked him. I came right out and said, "So hey, why are you calling me now?" And his exact words were, "Sorry to have bothered you. You won't hear from me again." And he hung up. And that made me realize that that's not the way peer support should be done. There's better ways of doing peer support, and that's what really got me into into peer support. Um, getting into giving it, uh, like providing it. But I also, you know, I have benefited from peer support groups as well. Right? So that that's how I sort of got into peer support. You never know when somebody's going to be reaching out or necessarily what reaching out looks like. Yeah. And it's such a vulnerable spot, mm-hmm. you know, because um, oh. it, it, it takes so much for somebody to raise their hand yep. and say, hey, I need some help. And yep. if that hand is slapped away, it's only slapped away once. They don't reach out twice. Yep. Yeah. And in my case, it took a lot to reach out because my entire life was on the line. My wife was getting ready to leave me. And it's like I said, my life was was completely falling apart. 
And, and that's what made me reach out for help. Um, like I said, I can remember sitting on a couch with my wife when we had the talk and I said, I think I need help. And, and you know, I, I reached out for help and I, I started my journey at the beginning. I tried to keep it very like many first responders and military members do. I tried to keep it very on the down low and quiet. I told my crew, right? I figured they need to know because if, if I flip out or something or I lose emotional control, they need to know what's going on. Yeah. And I tried to keep it quiet, but you know what? I realized just how much mental energy it takes trying to keep it quiet. And that mental energy is energy I could have used towards helping myself recover. That, and I thought to myself, you know, I I'm a, hold a senior rank in my department. You know, maybe I should show some leadership. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm going public. I don't care what people are going to think about me. Right? And, and I went public. And I sort of went public for a couple of reasons. One, it, it was a load off my shoulders. Like I said, it was, it was really cognitively draining trying to keep things hidden and on the down low. Yeah. So that was part of the reason. And the other reason was, you know, I'm a first responder. I care about others. That's why I'm a first responder. And I thought, well, you know what? If, if me going public with my battles helps, you know, one person ask one question about PTSD, you know, to learn about it, or if it helps, you know, one person or causes one person to reflect on their own mental health, or if it, you know, helps somebody already battling their own mental health challenges to not feel alone, then it's worth it. And it does. And and I've been public ever since. Yeah. Now, having said that, <laughs> there was one aspect that I really wasn't public about for a while, and that was my 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 uh, brush with death when I, I considered taking my own life. Mm-hmm. That I, I that I kept very quiet. Um, I didn't even tell my therapist for like three months, <laughs> and it was yeah. finally. And actually, what what helped was talking with uh, another first responder at, at a conference that I went to uh, and he talked about being honest with yourself. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I got to be honest with it. And I talked to my, my therapist about it, talked to my, my family about it. We talked with the, my kids at Christmas time in 2019 about it. And ever since then, it's like, like I don't go out and, and publicly say, hey, guess what, guys? I tried to take my life, blah, 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 but I don't hide it either. Right? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's part of the journey. And, and, and the one thing that, that I've learned that was sort of shocking to me is how common that is in, in PTSD battles and journeys that first responders and military have. Yeah, and the more we hide it, um, yep. it, it I, I attempted in July. Yep. And uh, telling my kids, because I had to, because it, it just kind of came oh, out, yeah. it, yep. it, it, it just came out on the show. I didn't really intend. It was the episode yeah. called Stay Frosty, is the title of the episode. Yeah. I was just talking about vigilance in mental health, and it just fell out of me. So I was like, yeah. well, I just told it to the world. So. I guess I yep. better tell my kids too. And yeah, it was um, hard. It, it's yeah. hard. It's not easy because yeah. you don't want them to worry. You don't want them, you know, yeah. but it's, uh, hey, it happened. 
<laughs> yeah. And I survived yeah, and, it. And, and, and now that I'm, I'm, you know, my entire journey is out there, you know, it, it's, I, 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 my motivation is to do what I can to make sure that no other first responder or veteran finds himself in the same place I was in. Well, it's incredibly uh, powerful, Rob, like to, yep. to, I call it recover out loud. And, yep. uh, and I didn't Absolutely. come up with it. Uh, I heard a yep. friend of mine say it and he heard it somewhere else. And, yeah. uh, but it, it's so powerful. There, there, there's a quote that I saw that, that really, really resonated with me. And I put it on my website as well. It, it, it's, it goes, when we recover loudly, we keep others from dying quietly. Oh, yeah. Like, I, Absolutely love it, and that's what it is. And now, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll talk openly about suicide because the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. We normalize the discussion around it. We should be able to talk uh, about suicide no different than the way we talk about our favorite sports team or what we had for dinner last night or you know where our vacation is going to be. It's got to become a a everyday conversation. And it takes courage, especially the first couple times. But yeah, the, oh yeah. the the yep. more we and it's leadership is what it is. Yep. Yeah. So the more yeah. you allow yourself to be a leader by um, saying what's uncomfortable, by yep. tactfully sharing the truth, yep. and being yep. open and transparent, by showing that courage, courage is contagious. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Like I've I've had a lot of feedback from a lot of people I know and a lot of people I've never met who, who made comments like that. Like, you you you're, you're amazing. The stuff that you're doing. And, and like I said, I'm not doing it for the praise, right? I, I'm doing it because I have a genuine compassion for other first responders and veterans. I don't want to see them where I was. Right? And, and it, it's funny because even when, and I've noticed this a lot with, with first responders, even there's a lot of first responders who, who battle PTSD and anxiety and depression, and they won't even use the word suicide. They'll talk about, you know, the dark times or the dark place. Yeah. It's like, no, use the word because yeah, every time word. you use the word, you take its power away. I, I've heard people avoiding that word and trying to find yep. euphemisms for the word. It's, yep. uh, it, it's suicide. It, it's what yep. it is. That's what it is. You know, yep. battling demons, suicide, suicidal ideations. Yep. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Just yeah. say it, you know, and yeah. um, the, the more you say it, and it so perfectly is how you worded it, Rob. The more you yeah. say it, um, just like it's, uh, hey, I'm going to go pick up the groceries and, uh, yep. and, and then therapy. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the more you do that, the less, the, like the more you destroy the stigma. Everybody yeah. says, you'll crush the stigma. But but I don't want to tell anybody yeah. that it's me too. Absolutely, you know. Actually, one of my art pieces is about that. It, 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 I did an art piece of a, a, a firefighter crawling across this floor into an empty pill bottle. There's an angel beside the pill bottle. There's a grim reaper. There's means of taking your own life. All the pills are spelled out saying "Help me," and then there's a group of people in the background going, "Shh, we don't talk about that." Like you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. I want to be part of the solution. Where can uh, people see your art pieces? I'd love to, re to, to um, do you have an online gallery? 
Yeah, yeah, I do on my website. Uh, my website is leeton.ca. And I do a lot of, uh, you know, mental health-related artwork. And, and I do it for for a couple of reasons. One, you know, it, it's it's very therapeutic for me when I'm doing it. it it's very mindful, right? You know, oh, when, yeah. when the, the brain is spinning around, you know, that – that gerbil on the hamster or the hamster on the hamster wheel in your brain is, is, is just going crazy. It, it's very mindful. So that, that's great. Um, I use my artwork to help educate others about, you know, PTSD and, and, and anxiety and depression. And some of my pieces are deal with some of my problematic calls that, that allowed me to help process those calls but they're done in such a way that it highlights PTSD for for somebody who's looking at it, All right? Like, um, for example, um, when I started out in the fire service almost 30 years ago, my first couple of years was in fire dispatch, and I, I dispatched a fatal apartment fire, and so I, I did an art piece on that, and it shows you know a, a first responder standing in front of dispatch screens. Nice little design above, and it says it's not always what you see, right? And, and I did that because, well, it, it's 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 not always what you see. There are some sometimes there are things you can never unhear, right? And, and I did that for a couple of reasons. That particular art piece it, it helped me process that problematic call, and you know what? I, I I've heard it myself to my face <laughs> that there's, there's first responders who will, who will say to people in dispatch and communications, how can that bother you? You weren't even there. <laughs> and it's like, you guys don't understand it. It's not always what you see. It's sometimes there are things you hear that you can never unhear. And that's it, why I did that art piece. Right? It's it, what it you know. Educate. Yeah. It can be what it you know. It. Yep. Uh, yeah. There, there are stories because you can hear a story on the news. You yep. can read it in a magazine, in the paper, or on a book. Um, but there are stories that I know are true uh, from my time in, in Croatia that I didn't see. You know, mm-hmm. I heard secondhand, but they mm-hmm. haunt me. They, they, they yep. haunt me because I, I, can, I can live that experience through the story yep. because I was yep. there. Yep. I, I, the example I give to people is, you know, when they say, well, yeah, you know, you weren't even there. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I wasn't at ground zero on nine 11, but that still affected me. Of course. Like that's. Especially you know, as perfect. a firefighter. Yeah. Because you yeah. can, you can relate to it so much more. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So yeah, it's not always what you see. <laughs> and that's why I did that art piece to, to sort of help me process a problematic call. And at the same time, it's educating others who may be, you know, may not truly understand all the things around PTSD and things that, you know, contribute to it. So a spoken word piece that I did um, on my show every now and then I've got about half a dozen uh, spoken word pieces that I write and perform. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my art. And yeah. one of the lines is really bothersome to some people, uh, but it's the knowledge that the devil is in fact real. Yep. 
Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and it doesn't matter like for, for all, all the atheists, it's like, it, it's, it's the same. Like yeah. it, it's okay if you're an atheist, uh, yeah. you, you may, you don't have to believe in an actual physical devil. Yeah. Um, but understanding the face of evil is what I'm talking yep. about. Oh, and, absolutely. you know, and, and that's, when you've actually seen it, smelt it, tasted it, yeah. when you when you've seen the hands of evil and and and, and what they've done, you you can't yeah. unsee that. And yep. most people in their life have barely even ever had a glimpse, much less had yeah. to stare it in the yeah. face. And that's the yep. difference between uh, our community and and the rest yeah. of the world. That's the dividing I, line in my mind. I mean, the, the 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 stat that I've heard that is so true is the average civilian you know joe public or joe or joanne public the average civilian will have one maybe two uh big traumatic events in their life whereas first responders and veterans like military they can have anywhere you know like five to six hundred in a career yeah i mean i i i tell people that you know as a first responder and it's the same with the military that, you know what, you can't walk through water and not get wet. You can't walk through a sewer and not come out smelling like shit. And you can't go through a career as a, as a serving member or as a first responder, doing the things that we do, seeing the things that we see and hear, experiencing the things that we experience and not be affected. And there's, and so, there's, there's no shame in that. So many people that get into these professions uh, because they are empathetic people. Yep. Yeah, and it's like, whoops, <laughs> that that empathy's not so good. like it's good, and it's also that's yeah, it, it's what gets you all messed up, you know. Yep. Because uh, yeah. if you're a naturally empathetic person anyway, and you have to turn yep. that off all the time just to survive, yep. it's yep. um, it's <laughs> it is a son of a bitch. Yeah, people don't understand that, and and I give them the the example, the, a really good example is. You know, as a firefighter, as a first responder, you know, if I go to a, an infant VSA, if I allowed myself to feel the emotions that those parents are feeling, oh, God. I wouldn't be able to do my job. No. So you bury those emotions to be able to do the job. The problem is, as for first responders, we tend to leave those emotions buried. <laughs> we don't actually deal with them, and they eventually... <laughs> Come back, <laughs> come back out. <laughs> Let's go have a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the coping strategies that people use to not have to feel, like alcohol, drugs, any substance abuse. I mean, the other thing that, that a lot of people don't understand about PTSD and depression is that it's not just about substance abuse as a coping strategy. I mean, there are first responders who battle PTSD, who use porn or sex mm-hmm. or, or shopping or, or you know, ineffective or inappropriate eating. Or, or all it's, the above. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. and it's to be able to, to not feel those feelings, emotions that are trying to come out. Yeah. And, and the reality is to be able to heal from that, 
you got to let them out. And and again, uh, the the core word is courage. It takes courage to yeah. just feel your fucking feelings. Yep. And uh, if you are, uh, uh, I've been curled up in the ball, balling my head off for half an hour, mm-hmm. and um, yep. you have to do that shit to process it. Yep. You know, you, you've got to let it go. If you bury it down, it, it manifests itself as yep. physical illness, cancer. Yep. I mean, you name it. You Absolutely. have to, you have to feel your feelings. Uh, a friend of mine said, uh, he said that he had heard, and it's a great quote is that the medicine for the pain is in the pain. Mm. You, 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 you got to feel it to heal it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. And that, that's the hard part. That yeah. is the, like, it took me a long time to be, comfortable enough and vulnerable enough to be able to cry in front of my therapist. Yeah. Right. It, it, it is, it is, it, it's, and, it, and like I said, it's, it's challenging because as a man, male, you know, we've grown up in the, in a society that says you need to be tough and you don't show your emotions. And, and then being a first responder, it's like, you know, there's pressures to be the hero for society, right? Like to be the problem solvers. and all those pressures you have to get rid of. And we like to, to wear the cape. We, you know, yeah. we, we like to wear the cape to be the superhero who feels good. Yep. And yep. Um, admitting that, oh, shit, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm vulnerable yep. too. And, yep. you know, uh, anybody can be wounded. Doesn't matter. Yep. It doesn't matter who you yep. are, and that, I think that's the that's half the stigma of PTSD. Half is the yep. silence, and is yeah. allowing the silence. The other half is misunderstanding, thinking that it is somehow a weakness. And yep. um, I always use the yep. analogy of uh, hitting a landmine. Somebody has his legs uh, sheared off. Nobody says, yeah. "Oh, what a we! Why didn't you see that coming?" Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, your legs got sheared off. What you got weak shins, yeah. man. You know, nobody does that because we obviously understand that nobody is immune from a landmine. Yeah. But uh, trauma trauma is a figurative landmine. It is. It's just, it's invisible. You never know where it's going to be or when it's going to hit or how hard it's going to hit you. One of my art pieces I did deals specifically with that. Uh, I was talking with a a co-worker. He ended up getting... uh, post-concussion syndrome. He was getting into the truck to go to a call, hit his head on the door frame as he was getting in. Okay. And he was off work for almost three years trying to get that. But he said, you know what? I just wish I could put a bandage around my head so that people could see, oh, there's a bandage. Oh, it's an injury. And that inspired me to do uh, one of my art pieces called C. And it's a a first responder, heads opened up, holding – his brain in front and there's a bandaid on the brain. And it's like, see, it, it, it is an injury. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, you know, and it's so powerful to, it's why I do my spoken word pieces to try to get people to yeah. understand. Um, yeah. One of them is why we remember. It's probably the, the one that's got the most attention. And yeah. I just don't hold back. It's like, see, this, this is what yeah. this is. This is what yeah. this is. You know, doing our best to communicate uh, the unfathomable. Yep. Is that, did I, I say I, it right? <laughs> That's a big word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of syllables I, for me. One, one of my art pieces is called, uh, oh, what I, I've done so many, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> um, 
Oh, face to face. Okay. And it's a picture of a firefighter, hands up, dancing with the Grim Reaper. Mm. And the, the, the title is, you know, if this is your dance partner, make sure you lead. In other words, you know, you want to you want to take the lead because if you don't and you let the Grim Reaper take the lead, it leads to not nice places. And I've, it's exactly what it was. And there was a, a an art gallery that wanted to show it. They were doing online galleries, and, and they re- the lady who was running it really liked that one and took it to the board to see if they would agree with it. And they all said, oh, yeah, yeah, great, great piece of art, but it's kind of dark, a little too dark for us. And I, <laughs> That's I what it is. Nice, I sent a nice email back and said, well, you know what? Yeah, that could be triggering for people, you know, because they made a comment about that, you know, that we did one art gallery in person when some person got triggered. I said, well, yeah, I get my artwork's not for everybody. And, yeah, it can be triggering, but that's not my problem. That's your problem. If you have PTSD or something and you see something, something triggers you, it's your responsibility well, what, to, to be able to deal with it. A translation of what you're saying is your art is powerful, but it's a little bit yep. too powerful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I said. I said, you know what? Unfortunately, the reality is a first responder battling PTSD and depression, it isn't you know, it isn't pretty. It ain't pretty. And it is, you don't you don't look at it through rose colored glasses. It is dark. It is dark. It it's really, a shit show. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm not changing my artwork. And to be honest with you, I don't do my artwork for you guys. I do it for other first responders to help them. And and, so, and for who's ready, you know? Yeah. For who's yeah. ready. Like um not Looking in the mirror is tough. And when you have yeah. art, art pieces like what you're creating, um, yeah. that's a way of looking in the mirror. It's like, oh, that is, yeah, that resonates. Yep. That That's me. That's what's yeah. going on in my head. And yep. it, you're ready when you're ready. When, you know, yep. when the student is ready, the teacher will appear kind of idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the thing I, I, I tried to get across to them is, you know what? I've got PTSD and depression. I was diagnosed with severe PTSD and severe depression. I've got triggers. I know what my triggers are, but I can't expect the world to revolve around me and my triggers. Yeah. So because right. I can't expect that, I got to be able to have appropriate coping strategies and grounding strategies so that if I do get triggered, I can deal with it. Right. And, that's what I tried to get across to the, the nice lady who was <laughs> doing the, the art gallery. It's like, yeah, okay. It may be triggering, but that's not my problem. It, it's that's on their it, problem. It, it's on society to try to recognize help and support, yeah. but nobody yep. can do the work for you. That's right. Nobody that's right. can do the work for and, you. And it's the toughest and, work ever. Yep. And, and that's one of the things I do when, when I, I do some talks, some, you know, public talks to other fire departments. That is like, you know what? Your therapist doesn't fix you. Your therapist helps you fix yourself. That's right. Because that's what it is. You know, right? They're supposed it's, to be a guide. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, it, it's yeah. You, you have to take ownership of it. It's yours. Uh, my last art piece I did is called Owned or Be Owned, and it shows a you know it's a split screen. It shows you know a first responder with a bird cage and there's a little demon in it. And on the other side of the screen, the roles are reversed. The demon's big, holding the birdcage, and inside's the first responder. It's like, 
you have a choice. You can either own your PTSD and accept it, own it, or you can let it own you. Right. So it, it, it's a it's a difficult mindset to get into, but you have to to be to be able to get through it and experience post, some post traumatic growth. Yeah. One of the barriers is that uh, people conflate taking responsibility with blaming themselves. And it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's like, it's not your no. fault that the trauma happened to you, but That's it is right. your, it is your responsibility to fucking deal with it. Yep. You know, Absolutely. It's not and, your fault, and, but it is your responsibility. Sorry. Yep. You know, this is, this is what it is. You're not broken. You have an injury. Yeah. PTSD is a psychological injury. I mean, brain imaging studies show that there are physical changes that go on in your brain as well. That's right. So it, it's it's not that you're weak. It's not that you're, you know, it's your fault. It's it's something that's happened to you. Right? It's it's an injury with a fuckload of nasty side effects that uh, yep. <laughs> up to and including death. Yeah. You know, you attempted, yep. I attempted. It's um, yep. and I never thought I would. Snuck right up on me, bit me in the ass, like, yeah. got me. Yeah. And uh, I never thought I would, but I did. And, yeah. And, uh, and, and survived you know what? It, so I, that's good. I can, I know it sounds bad, but my experience with that helps me understand others who are in that position. And that's why right? I'm grateful for I it. I was there. Exactly right. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, you know, it, it, I understand why people will take their own lives, right? It, and that's why it really annoys me when, when people who haven't been there say, oh, you know, you, you feel like you're a burden to you. No, the reality is I'm in pain, and that's the only way I can think of of making that pain end, right? And and uh, I, I I try not to lose it on people when they say, well, you know what, you know, when, when, when somebody takes their own life, you know, they're just passing that pain on to somebody else. To their to the to people who are still alive, like their family, that and I go, you do realize saying that is putting the burden on somebody who's already overburdened for how other people are going to feel. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, and like, it's, it's not like we don't know that too. But when you're yeah. in that moment, uh, yep. you don't care. You can't care. Nope. You don't. You don't have the capacity to care. All you know is that I'm tired. This, I'm tired yeah. and I need this to I'm end. hopeless, helpless. There's no escape from this yeah. emotional pain. Not to mention the fact your, your, your thought processes are a little skewed as well, right? And, yeah, it, it's... And, and we're often in that position because of guilt and shame. And then people say, it's the most selfish thing you can possibly do. Oh, great. <laughs> so I'm in this place of guilt and shame. And, and, yeah. and, and your solution is give me more guilt and shame. Yep. Awesome. And, and I'm already, I'm already <laughs> overburdened. And you're putting more burden on me to be responsible for how other people are going to feel if I go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. It really is. <laughs> it's uh, that, that, you know, when you see how, you hear comments like that, you know, oh, it's selfish or that it's like, no, there's a lot more education we got to do. It's, it's desperation is what it is. Yep. And, yep. and you don't have the capacity when you're in that moment, in that moment of truth, you don't have the capacity to think about others. Like it's, it's, That's right. you're not being rational. Yep. <laughs> you know? uh, I mean, the, the <laughs> and this, I use this as an example to show that the, the thinking 
the skewed thinking. Uh, the day that, that I made my decision, you know, I, I got into a massive fight with my wife that, you know, of course I started <laughs> over nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went for a five hour drive. Just, I had to get away, which is, you know, there's that avoidance and isolation coming in. Right. And, and you know, what? I, I went to some of the places that I, I, I used to go to a lot. And one of them was this, this in, in Ontario, there's near me, there's a, uh, like a hiking trail around this little pond, but right beside the pond, there's this pet cemetery. So I, that day, it's like I um, go to the pet cemetery, and you know, and this is a nice pet cemetery. There's like big monuments and headstones, and I'm sitting there, and this is this illustrates how your thinking is skewed and affected by PTSD. And I remember looking around, and 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 the thoughts that went through my head is, wow. There's so much love. These people must have had so much love for their animals that they would put them in this cemetery with headstones and everything, right? And I thought, wow, you know, there's so much love there. And those animals obviously were suffering, and they're no longer suffering. And uh, looking around, and, of course, there's nobody there. It's like, wow, you know, it, it's it's really peaceful here. I want that peace. Ended up going for a drive, got to the end of a country road and go, yeah, I want that piece. There, there's, that's when I made my decision, right? And, and, and that's, yeah, you, there, there's, you're feeling hopeless, helpless, desperate to escape the emotional pain. You, you, you feel like you're the only one, you know, and then you've got your, your messed up thinking from messed up chemicals in your brain. Just making you think, oh, yeah, that's peaceful in the cemetery. It's like, yeah, I want that peace. I know how to get it, right? So, yeah, you, you, it is. It's a, it's a um, having PTSD, especially in the early days, it, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I really yeah, wouldn't. That's brutal. No. Nope. Uh, I mean, I'm fortunate that I've, I've done the work, the hard, hard work. <laughs> I, I, I've taken ownership of it, um, of my PTSD. I, I've, I've decided that for me, you know, I'm, I'm going to make my recovery happen instead of waiting for my recovery to happen. You know, I've educated myself as, as much as I could, you know, uh, and I, you know, for a first responder, this is tough. I, I had blind faith that the therapy process was going to work. I had no idea what it was going to be or how hard it was going to be, but I had to have blind faith in my therapist and the process. Yeah. And and, and you have to take that leap and hope for the best, you know, yeah, and yeah. because staying still isn't going to do anything like that's for sure. Yeah. That's a guarantee. Yeah. And therapy might yeah. not help you the first time. Yep. Yeah. You know, you might have to go through two, three, five, eight therapists before you find one that, that you yeah. click with. Uh, yeah. And that's part of this. What this show is. I have all yep. kinds of modalities. Every modality I can yep. I can find. Get an expert on, so that people yep. can listen to those experts and go, "Oh no, that one's not for me." But that one, oh, now yeah. that you one sounds good. I want to do that. That was one of my my keys of my success so far. It's being open minded enough to try anything and everything, mm -hmm. and keep what worked and got get rid of what didn't work. So, for example. Yeah, I, I've I've done all the, the standard or the the more common therapies like you know cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive processing therapy, EMDR, um, EFT, 
acceptance commitment therapy. I've done equine therapy. That worked for me. I'm hanging on to that one. I've done yoga. I, I tried journaling. You know, you know, journaling is, is like narrative therapy. Journaling didn't work for me. You know, I tried doing artwork. I started out with, you know, the adult coloring books. That didn't work for me. <laughs> and, because, and, and, and people would uh, would hesitate to do that. I'm not going to do that. What am I, a three-year-old? But no, 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 no. Oh. Uh, they're, they're, it's mindfulness. The The adult yeah. coloring books, a friend of mine is an artist. She makes yep. those coloring books. Oh, yeah? And, um, and like, just spectacular. Um, yeah. But uh, they... It is mindfulness. It gets you Absolutely. out of here. It keeps I, the hamster from spinning. It's a great. I can uh, remember yeah. getting up. Like I had my adult coloring book and I was doing one page a day. That's what I started out doing. And I remember one time getting up at three in the morning. You know, I went to bed at, you know, 1030, not sleeping, brains doing this, you know, like on high speed. I got up at three or three fifteen in the morning Went down to the kitchen, got out the coloring book, and I did three pages. But it was good because it got me, it was mindful, and it got me out of that rumination going on in my head. Now, the the reality is for me, the coloring books weren't working well for me overall because part of my diagnosis is also borderline OCD, which is fairly common with PTSD as well. And it would drive me absolutely nuts every time I would color outside the line. <laughs> yeah. So, so now, and journaling never really worked for me because every time I would journal, it was more about what I did that day. And when I read through it, it was written as if I was doing a fire report at work, you know, third person, nothing but facts. It's like, and that's why, you know, I started to get into writing and I've done some, some writings have been published. Uh, you know, I did a couple of uh, things that were published in a couple of books, you know, and that's why my artwork sort of changed from the traditional coloring to, you know, let's try something else. Well, you know, I'm not good with paint, you know, I can't really draw, but you know, I'm pretty good with computers and graphic design. And that's how, you know, my artwork changed, evolved into the mental heart, mental health, digital artwork that I do. And that so, artwork yeah, it, we it, can see at uh, yeah. lethen.ca. Yep, lethen.ca, L-E-A-T-H-E-N.ca. And go to gallery, and there's, there's four different galleries. There's, there's like my PTSD gallery, which is all my mental health stuff. There's a surreal gallery. Uh, one of the things my therapist said is, does all your artwork deal with PTSD and depression? And it's like, well, yeah, pretty much so, but I knew what she was getting at. So I tried some other things, you know, that were not, like, just basic art. So, you know, surreal art, I, I find, is really unique and interesting. So I started doing some of that. You know, well, your, your art's going to be a reflection of where you're at in the moment. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and what will probably happen is your art will evolve as you evolve. Yep. And yep. Um, uh, and I, I look forward to the day when all your art is about yeah. being on the other side. Yeah, and and, and, you know and, and, and those it's, are the images. Yeah, yeah, it it's I can even see that myself now. Like a lot of my my artwork in the early days, yeah, there, there was a theme. It was like it was all dark and scary, and yeah, I can see how it's it's evolving over time. First of all, it's getting better yeah. <laughs> in quality, uh, but yeah, I can see it evolving over time. There's a more 
there's less dark, dark stuff and more, you know, thoughtful, more upbeat sort of, I'm getting that way, more colorful. A lot of my early artwork was dark. Not only was the, the topic dark, but so was the, the, you know, the color palette I used. Yeah, you're, so, moving, you're yeah. Moving, moving from Johnny Cash to Cindy Lauper. <laughs> I love that analogy. That's great. <laughs> All yeah, right. that's, that's really good. <laughs> Johnny Cash to Cindy Lauper. All right, uh, yeah. Rob Lethan, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I mean, any, any chance I, I get to, to tell my story and to maybe get stuff out to people, if it makes a difference, that's it's it's worthwhile and like i said i don't want to it's my goal in life now i'm i'm no longer riding the fire trucks uh i'm close to retirement i i won't be going back to work and my passion now is you know no longer serving joe public but serving a small subset other first responders roger that you know and that's that's why i do peer support and education and and you know that's why i do podcasts like this and and it's about getting the message out there that you're well, not alone. Thank you for your continued service, Rob. Yeah. And, thank uh, you. and please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Absolutely. Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, including those firefighters. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring